International. A couple of weeks before my birthday, turning 38. That is not an age that really is a benchmark for anything. I don't know anybody that's done anything good at 38. Or at least I don't know anybody that's done anything that they're known for doing because they were 38. It's like, just fucking be 40 already so that you have somewhat of an identity, you know? 40's an age. I'm not looking forward to it, but, you know, I, I don't... 38, that's just... That's a jersey number nobody wants. So I'm going to be turning that fairly soon. And uh, I'm like, I've got like three out of 140 things off my bucket list scratched off. So I got a lot of work to do. Okay. Two of those things were this introduction and the episode you're about to hear. So really, I'm pretty lazy and I should really do things before I die. Because once you die... You know, yeah, there's once you go death, you never go back is uh, uh, what they tell me over in school. Yeah, get it going. If it doesn't fit, you must equip. Oh, <laughs> this is the good life. Just relax and let my mind drift. Having Y2K compliant. Slim Jim. Eat my shorts. What's the deal with Aquaman? Could he go on the land or was he just restricted to wood? No stairway. Denied. This is Ryan with the millennials. I mean, I guess you maybe, maybe it's an honor thing. Like, you just have to look your prey in the face as you're gouging it to death yeah like like native americans mm. yeah it doesn't really count unless you've made eye contact mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> then you don't capture the soul of your victim and then what was the murder what, even worse po- right yeah that's why yeah. introverted native americans back in the day had a very tough time there was a i saw a thing on reddit recently about <laughs> a guy check, check. we're good I'm listening. I I feel i feel like the volume in my headphones is fantastic my, yeah mine mine's <laughs> getting there Yep. Just a tiny touch. Yep. Yep. There it is. Perfect. Thank you. There was a guy who, um, I can't remember if it was Navajo or Mohawk, but he, he, he did like the five, uh, the five feats that, that qualify you as a war chief. Oh. And, and during while he was serving in World War II. And one of them was like killing a man with your bare hands. One was touching an enemy and not killing him. Yeah. One was one was uh, and and the story about that one was that he had a German soldier in a chokehold on the battlefield. Oh wow! And and <laughs> as he was like squeezing to kill the 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 boy yelled out "Mama," <laughs> and so he and so he let go. And yeah. I was like, man, that's fucking terrifying. I, yeah, that's I do that's not profound. I would have, if I was in that situation where I had to touch an enemy without killing him, I would have done the whole run up and like graze their shoulder. Exactly. Like, I, got tag, yeah. I would it. have, I would have been like a, a Navajo war chief on a technicality. Yeah, I would, yeah. yeah, exactly. I would slide in that one. For I would have sure. looked for loopholes. One of the, one of the, uh, one of the qualifications was that you had to ride away from battle on a horse while singing the tribal uh, war song. Yeah. I was like, man, okay. Well, I guess you could, you know. That sounds like an easier. That's that's a pretty easy. You just one. have to get a horse. You just have to be like, hey, yeah. Sarge, can you just arrange for a horse? <laughs> yeah. To be at our next mission. Go to Horse Mart and pick up a few. 
Yeah, I guess it depends entirely on what how you define the terms like enemy and battle, you know, because it could be like, well, yeah. uh, you know, I had a really contentious discussion with this with my pharmacist at CVS <laughs> sure. that could have counted as a battle. Yeah, and I touched his hand and did not murder him. So. Yeah. I'm submitting this for the approval of the tribal council. I would like to be a war chief, if possible. Yeah. I mean, it's all about the language you use on the resume. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like, of course, I engaged with my enemy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. how? Well, let's, I'll explain further on the right, second right. interview. I'm, yeah, I'm totally happy to explain my qualifications for war chief. <laughs> um, but what I'd really like to do is present you with a PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah, that's a millennial thing for sure. Absolutely. Lying on your resume as like being totally acceptable is absolutely. And it's not something I don't think, you know, people want to talk about that as like a degradation of values. Yeah. But I don't think, no, it's absolutely what we told them to do. Sure. Like I, I was a high school teacher um, from 2008 to 2010. Yeah. And that is absolutely being taught to kids. Um, to to um, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Um, like have false confidence. Be inauthentic. Um, again, to yeah. to it, like achieve unambitiously. Right. Well, I've always, I've always. Um, are we recording? Uh, I've always uh, felt that that was always in place, but only now has it be been brought to everyone's attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like false confidence has mm -hmm. been one of those things like you're only going to get ahead if uh, you believe you're already the thing that you want to be. Right. And mm -hmm. only now is it being recognized as this sort of mm -hmm. advantage neurologically. Yeah. I don't. Uh, did you say advantage? Uh, yeah. Don't okay. you? Do you see it as one? I think it all I think the bottom always falls out in the end like and that's what and that's what leads us to have so many people like high profile people I think having scandals in their I mean I think about somebody like uh, Travis uh, what's his name uh, uh, CEO of Uber oh right who is probably a shitbag I mean just it seems that way and, and it's really and he's and he's crumbling under the under the public pressure of being an actual thought leader because that's never what he was to begin with right well yeah uh but just to just to uh interject for a second here i don't know that false confidence is necessarily equivalent to being a douche right okay you okay. know being a douche certainly lends itself to having false confidence yeah yeah causation but there's or, a lot of people yeah. i know who are just very satisfied with themselves yeah who are very success driven but they're not bad people they're not right. looking to screw anyone over they're just they have a very high sense of self mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. could also i mean that could also be viewed as a problem because often you could find yourself in over your head yeah. Um, and you're believing you can do things that you're not qualified to do, but it doesn't mean you're an asshole. Mm. The guy who runs Uber is an asshole. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely, there's, they're all, they all live, they have maybe like dotted lines drawn between them, but not like strong, bold arrows, right? Like, like I think being falsely confident does not, or being achievement driven or being ambitious, none of those like immediately connects you to being an asshole. Yeah. Um, I think there are probably just as many arrows that point, not necessarily the false confidence. It's always that word false that gets me. It's always that thing because yeah. it's like, and maybe part of this is, is being, being somebody who identifies as a performer. Um, but like, is that your uh, gender? That is my gender. You yeah. identify um, as performer? Yep. Mm -hmm. Cis performer? Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> I was born a performer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, um, 
it's it's one of those things where like even even if I'm doing a a routine, my goal is to be authentic. My goal is to show people who I really am so that so that they like me, so that sure. they say, "Hey, I like the things that this person has to say." Not necessarily to go out there with bravado and to force people to think, "Well, not liking this guy isn't a choice because he is better than I am," or whatever, right? Right. But it's interesting and, that you do it to have people like you. I guess that's the point of a performance, obviously. Yeah, I mean, because you can well, and and it depends. Because I think in the context of maybe stand up, like a solo performance, I think you have to get people on your side somehow. Even if you're yeah. doing it as this like ridiculous shit heel character, yeah, you have to get people on your side. But if you, I mean, if you're, but if you're in a group piece, if you're in a play, or if you're doing improv or whatever, and you're playing the heel character, well, then you're just putting over everybody else. You're putting over the piece, mm-hmm. and people certainly know that that's not who you really are. So, well, you you would hope. Yeah, that, that that they know that. Unless you're so good at it, like yeah, like uh, uh, this is like the most dated story ever. William Atherton, who played Walter Peck in mm. uh, Ghostbusters, yeah, um, you know the famous line, "Yes, this man has no dick." Uh, but he um, he was standing on the road after this movie came. That was a blockbuster film, and he's standing on the street, and a school bus comes by him, and the kids are in are leaning out of the windows, calling him dickless. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, man, uh, I'm sorry, you you played the heel too well in that film. Yeah, like it's that's you know. the that's the side of Ghostbusters that you don't hear too often. That one where <laughs> the dark side of Ghostbusters, the dark side where people were were vilified, right, for mm-hmm. the roles they mm-hmm. played. Mm-hmm. We all thought it was just a fantastic film yeah. about you know guys, the heroes know. march in to save the day. But look, here's people a, here's got a man. hurt. Yeah, people there were casualties after Ghostbusters for yeah. sure. But 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 the the idea of just honesty, I, I think it. it it, it's really important to me and, and I think it's been a thing that I've been either con- consciously or unconsciously like really preoccupied with my whole life and it's probably held me back in some ways. Yeah. I still suck at job applications. Mm-hmm. I suck at festival applications. I suck at any... Tw- I suck on paper. I always do because I feel yeah. the need to be overwhelmingly honest about who I am and I've noticed that in my life the opportunities that have come my way have usually have either been because somebody is 100% consciously giving me a shot mm-hmm. or I am like a th- second or third resort. I'm like a backup. Well, uh, you know, it also sounds like what you're doing is you're putting stakes on something. Yeah. You know, when uh, let's be honest here, I think the difference between a good and mediocre performer is that authenticity that a performer brings to the stage mm-hmm. in any medium. Uh, ultimately, I think what a performer should strive to do is present an extension or a, a wild exaggeration of who they really are. Mm-hmm. And that will ultimately resonate in some way. Yeah. But for those who scale back and pander and uh, approach anything as if this is life or death, um, you know, I think that what you're, you're, you've built a wall. You know, uh, I too have had that issue with job applications and certainly festival submissions. You know, I've only done like two or th- maybe three comedy festivals in all my stand-up tenure, which is, you know, maybe slightly over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would not put them in the upper echelon of festivals. Right. You know, it was really just a bunch of friends hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, I mean, uh, just to go to the original point, I think, uh, w- you know, 
what what was the original point the original point was uh <laughs> was the encouragement my of, coffee's kicking in now yeah, exactly my mind's going a million miles an hour the i think the original point was the encouragement of of inauthent- inauthenticity the fake it till you make it attitude false achievement like right and then and then like the the result like when i guess the secondary symptom of that is a false sense of satisfaction okay which the bottom always falls out on that and i see some of that too like here in austin texas because i think i think we are on the cusp of i mean i say geological cusp so Mm -hmm. we're not we're not going to see some drastic thing it's going to happen over time but i think we're on the cusp of probably like the era of austin flight um interesting and I say, you know, geological, because it's probably going to be more gradual over the next 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah. And that could just be the nature of any city. Mm-hmm. But Austin is a fad town. Everyone is like, I want to be in Austin. You know, we have the big, we have South by Southwest, ACL every year that draw these huge crowds. And people say, what, this quaint Texas town? It's a little hot in the summer, but it's warm most of the time. Mm-hmm. Good weather. You know, oh, craft beer everywhere. I can, yeah. I can, I could have seven dogs and it wouldn't be a problem. I can bring them all to the restaurant. It's, it's not L.A. Yeah, it's not L.A. It's, it's got, not it's got no pretension. Yeah, yeah, and and the cost of living is so low. Air quotes for those of you out there <laughs> in Radio Land. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely it was a fad town and it still is for sure. Like that is not dying down by any means. But yeah. I think, but I think from what I'm seeing, because people that are around me that are my age, like in their early 30s. Um, they came here when they were 25 and it was like, again, that false sense of self-satisfaction. I've got the job that I, that I think I want, that Mm -hmm. I know I'm good enough for. And at this point, they've probably had two or three of those jobs. They've done sort of the zigzag. Um, and, and now they're kind of settling in this idea of, well, who do I want to be? What's the what's the legacy that I want to leave on this earth? Like, do I want to continue having to chase more and more to, to satisfy the the needs of this city? Like, Oh yeah, I moved here and I lived in a, in a room in a house in South Austin for whatever, 700 bucks. Mm -hmm. And now I have a girlfriend and we want to have, you know, a one bedroom downtown. That's, you know, $2,000 a month. Oh, I guess we both better get promotions Mm -hmm. and just the the chasing and the constant. uh, And then it's like, well, well, Hey dude, what do you really want to do? Yeah. And I think, Maybe one, I mean, purpose, being purpose driven is like a thing that's always attached to the millennial generation, um, like asking why more often. And well, I, you know, I, I, I'm not a millennial, uh, the point of the podcast. Yep. And what I see is this, it, it's not, it's not a, it's not an inability to grasp adulthood necessarily because I feel like putting it that way is mean and negative and that's just mm-hmm. not simply true. I just think that the world as we know it today is now presenting the same problems but in, in a different context mm-hmm. and through different mediums. Yeah. And my theory, which has stood for a few months, year, maybe longer, who knows, is that America, the country has so radically changed in a short amount of time that we're all trying to figure it out. And it's easier for older generations to blame the younger ones for not pulling their weight, but the younger ones are figuring out how to pull their weight. Right. Um, You know, I can't say what somebody's needs are and how they could possibly go out and satisfy them. I know that I've got my own needs and I am somewhat appreciative that I was able to figure out what they are. Because I, too, was in that lost sort of phase of life where it's like, who am I? What am I here to do? What do I want to do? What makes me happy? How could I find happiness? Mm -hmm. And, you know, with a lot of uh, um, 
uh, introspection and a little bit of therapy. Know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You neurotic Jew over here. You know, we need therapy. Uh, you know, a, a, a bit of perspective was provided for me. And so now I know my place and I do my best yeah. in that place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't begrudge these younger generations. Um, I don't, I, I would like to think that they're not putting on false pretenses, but the acts, you know, the, uh, the, the means by which the younger generation, the younger generation, the millennials as they were, mm-hmm. uh, the means by which they're able to sort of express themselves and put their own voice out there is it's way louder and way more available than it's ever been before. Yeah. And I wonder if, if, if because of, because of the multiple media through which you can not only like put your voice out in the world, but have it listened to and reinforced and creating feedback loops and, uh, you know, 2016 election term here, echo chambers mm-hmm. such that you, you strengthen your internal narrative. Um, Cause I think it's not about like nowhere in, in the generational in, in this generation did, was there this uh, nefarious decision for like for for millennials, as we want to call them, to be entitled assholes? Mm-hmm. No one decided that it wasn't, and it wasn't like a message that was sent out. MTV didn't like throw out you know subliminal messages through TRL yeah. that were like, "Hey, the world owes you everything." Right. They, that didn't happen. But what I what I have seen is that uh, it's this message of one it's it's kind of it's that creeping and and ever present sort of industrial economy message of work hard and you'll do well mm-hmm. but the industrial economy is gone oh totally and so it's and 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 that and to and to be fair that's an ableist message anyway so it was yeah. problematic to begin with but it just but it worked at mm-hmm. the time and and we probably and there were probably some other things i mean you didn't have as much access to to global news and global events and you and you also like I don't know if it was necessarily, it was probably not percentage-wise a much smaller population, but maybe it was easier to take marginalized and oppressed groups and just sweep them under the rug. We didn't have a 24-hour news stream. Right. So the idea of having a really present, ableist narrative um, and really just a privileged narrative was like, I'm cool with that. And I'm, yeah. ta- and I'm thinking here more in like the 1950s. Sure. Like well, your, your baby boomer. Yeah, there was a time when, when, when American roles were more defined. Yeah, uh, for better or worse, and what we're learning now is for worse. Right. Um, but I, there's there's so many more factors to it than that. I mean, the entitlement thing. I don't know that that applies to every millennial. I work with all millennials, and mm-hmm. they certainly are working their asses mm-hmm. off and don't give off any sense of entitlement. I think you know there's an issue of you know the boomers like to point fingers, and it's like, hey, buddy. Uh, you were listening to the Grateful Dead and going to college for free. Yeah, you know, uh, imagine being twenty-two and you're already a hundred k in the hole. It's it's there's so much more at play here. It's it's not so much a sense of entitlement as much of a welcoming into the world and you're already behind the count. Yeah, and I and I do think that plays into some of the um, the the like prolonged quest for identity. Mm-hmm. I think. I think identity and, and knowing who you are is gained through tribulation. It's gained through, I don't want to say hard work. I'm not talking about being out in the field or walking 100 miles or something, yeah. although those can qualify. But there is a certain amount of introspection that you gain that you that you gain access to mm-hmm. by exhausting yourself physically or mentally. Mm-hmm. And if you create 
if you create a, a life course that doesn't allow for that ment- mental and physical strain until you are 23 or 24 years old, then yeah, you're gonna have you're not gonna really know who you are until you're 29 or 30. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, you're going to be falsely confident, falsely ambitious. Yeah, I mean, I think you just explained how the whole 30 is the new 20 concept. Exactly. Because yeah. your and 20s now, whereas in the past, you that's when you'd start a family and a career for 45 to 50 years. Now mm. that your 20s are, I'm going to go to Europe and yeah. see what the fucking world has to offer. Well, and a part of that too was <laughs> that person that person who started their life at 22 or 23 by, by having a family and whatnot. I mean, maybe there were more defined roles and there were more stereotypes to make you go in that direction. Mm-hmm. But also, that was a person who probably... Um, paid for their own car in mm-hmm. high school, like worked a part-time job, worked a part-time job that paid for their college. I mean, that's always, that's such a boomer, you know, uh, a story to tell. Like, oh, I worked my way through college. And it was, it was what? It was like, what, $1,200 a semester? Uh, right. All right. Well, okay. Now we can talk about the, the actual substantial difference between those two. Sure. Because, um, yeah, because now it's like... No, and also, you didn't have banks and credit card companies preying on you right i mean Mm -hmm. uh, capitalism again for better or worse and what we're learning now is mostly worse it's it 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 brings the worst out in people because yeah when you have a population competing against each other there's always going to be someone who figures out how to make use of someone who knows less yep and Mm -hmm. that you know i think there's a lot of that going on too yeah no i i definitely um that is, you know, that's a thing that I see. And, and again, I'm, I'm in my own little echo chamber, right? I, yeah. I try, I do my best to engage at the very least with media sources that have like a contradicting viewpoint. I'm still working my way up to real life conversation. Sure. Because well, this is going pretty well. Right. <laughs> well, I'm working my way up to real life conversation with people who have that other viewpoint. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, you it's know, hard because most of the time they're very... Um, uh, a little obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah obnoxious at best, like yeah. caustic and frightening at worst. It's hard to um, find a a uh, who were the who were the that guy that they used to debate each other, William Buckley. Okay, this very sort of articulate, right. intellectual Republican conservative. Well, yeah, and I mean, who you know, I didn't agree with everything he said, but he certainly made me want to listen to it. Yeah, it's um, it's difficult, and I, I definitely, I 100% have opportunities for that in my real life right now, and I'm taking advantage of none of them because I just don't know that I could hold myself together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Is that right? You don't think that you? Um, it's not necessarily like I'm not a I'm not I'm not someone who's going to get enraged and throw things, but yeah. it's literally it's like for me, there's there's points where the the where I think that the potential for pop for proper conversation is like just out the window. Oh, like, well, yeah, because if, nobody wants to listen or engage. Yeah. If you're going to tell me that, like, if you're going to tell me that, uh, you know, that God created men and women to only be with each other and that, and that people decide to be gay because they want to, you know, spit in the face of God. I'm like, well, I'm really not going to convince you of anything else. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is that there are real human beings on this planet who just wish to be happy in the way that you wish to be happy. And that I think to impede that happiness, which is hurting nobody, mm-hmm. um, is really a, a shitty thing. And then they'd yeah. be like, okay, great. Well, let's just part ways. Let's just do that. That's a very, uh, you know, the word libertarian is a dirty word these days, but that what you just explained is essentially how it began because the whole ideology behind libertarianism at least as i didn't know it and at least from what i've read it began as this sort of belief that do whatever you want 
just don't fucking hurt anybody and yeah. don't be a dick and uh and now it's taken on this whole new far right sort of yeah connotation but i do think it's essentially it's look don't 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 step on the joy of others and don't get in their way if somebody right is a is a a, a, a trans fucking uh, a black trans lesbian unicycle rider yeah go ahead and let him be that my 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 concern yeah i do i do i wonder because i've never read a character I, i'm working on by the way right yeah <laughs> i um i i've never read a primary source with regards to like the definition of of libertarianism and i've only read things that criticize modern day libertarianism and so and i am not by any means a political theorist or even what you might call an informed human being yeah good um, there's no room for that here on this yeah. podcast <laughs> we uh, don't want information i'm the millennial here guys so if you're rooting against somebody listening to this it's supposed to be me <laughs> um nobody listens to this we have perfect. six listeners and jake Rowe. yeah yeah <laughs> jake Rowe, not a human being um <laughs> i yeah i think libertarianism has been construed to be to be like uh, this idea that only individuals make decisions and it gets lumped in with like anarcho-capitalism and things like that where it's like oh yeah well we we do agree that big government is bad and big government is 100% tied to capitalism because if you tie up capital if you if you if you dismiss labor like the the working class as owners of capital and you put that in the hands of the elite the elite is going to become the government and then you're going to have that cycle mm. of 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 power yeah um, why does that sound so familiar Oh no, that's yeah, I mean that's that's what it is for sure. Yeah. And uh, I just meant the current yeah climate. And and libertarianism, I think, um, is that notion of like, yeah, don't mess with my shit and we'll be fine. Yeah. But I do think it it op it operates at least in in the modern narrative with within this context of like people are people what people without systems can mm -hmm. and will only make decisions which affect themselves and that like that becomes pretty much untrue like the moment you put two people in the same room like yeah you put well, two it, people in the same room my my choice to breathe affects you mm -hmm. right it's like we have to acknowledge i mean and that's where i think when you talk about uh you know the the like socialism and the the social behavior that that encourages it's like i'm, I'm at least acknowledging that us sharing space means that every decision i make at least has an atomic effect on you mm -hmm. um because yeah i think the libertarian narrative kind of starts blending in with anarcho-capitalism and this idea of like well, i'm allowed to do whatever i want to do as long as i have the means to do it but then that also like becomes an ableist and a privileged yeah. the, um, you know modern liber libertarianism <laughs> thank yep. you for uh, being patient with that uh it almost has this uh, this this sort of um allusion to i'm going to screw you over and if you're not smart enough to figure out that i'm going to that's on you right and that is fucking horrendous only, that's and, terrible and, yeah and the one thing that i'm asking for is that we don't we don't create a government to mess with that right yeah right right um see this that's see, the big see, evil when thing. i see that going on that's when i begin to lean very liberal you know because yeah. i i'm you know i'm not ashamed to admit that i sit here and i sort of uh take a hodgepodge of both uh, parties ideas you know right. i do believe in a free market system i don't believe in in preventing gay people from getting married so it's sort right. of this whole let people be people idea but also you are what you make of yourself like there's no reason the the doors are open there's no reason why you can't go after something yeah um and a lot of people would disagree with me there and i i don't blame them you know for 
for all the institutional racism and sexism and homophobia that's out there, mm -hmm. there are uh, non-white, non-men, non-straight people who are making successes of themselves. So how do for you, sure. I think it's an insult to them to suggest that, you know, there's a, a, a tidal wave crashing down yeah. on them. Yeah, I wonder... I wonder about. I mean, I, I don't have like a, I don't have a, a, a like an immediate response to that. But I wonder if just the fact that we even uh, we even exemplify or tokenize those people is is a is is an indication of a problem. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a, it's a majority rules type thing, right? You right. know, for every one uh, non-white person who's successful, there's four thousand more who aren't. Sure, and you know we're we're seeing that. Yeah, and I I do think that's a problem. Um, and you wonder, and, and, and if you look at oppressed people who have been successful, because every action does not occur inside of a vacuum, were, is the fact that one, like, and I, you know, this is maybe problematic language on my part, but the fact that the system allowed them to be successful, because the system as a construct can destroy anyone. Well, and right? it does, yeah. And it does. So the so the system at some point made the choice, like, okay, we're going to, like, we, right? The Illuminati. I don't believe in that. <laughs> but, um, well, I don't believe in a society called the Illuminati. Yeah. Without a doubt, there is. Let's, uh, there is, let's there be is careful. Like a, There's yeah. a rabbit hole sign. we got to be sure. careful not to crawl down that yeah. one. There is a small subsection of the world that controls everything, at least in the notion that they have the capital to make things well, happen. Well, yeah, of course. Um, but that being said, like the the system allowed that to get through, and and whatever success we're talking about here too is modest success, which is great because I think the thing I think the the ideal that we strive for is to allow every single person on this earth to have modest success to the point sure. that I don't have to worry about be getting sick, I don't have to worry about not having a home mm -hmm. and not having a roof over my head, or the government marching into my house and right. telling me that what I'm doing is illegal. Yeah, I think. Um, but but to to go back like because I that that's a that's an interesting thing when you talk about the the idea of a free market as well it's about because it's about being able to go get what you want right mm -hmm. um, and and having the the go getter attitude and going out there sure because I I look at the word capitalism and and my whole life I grew up looking at capitalism at like capitalize and that means I'm going to capitalize on the things that I'm good at that is like specialization of skill and also I'm going to capitalize on opportunities that arise in front of me mm -hmm. and um and and I learned later in life that this is completely inaccurate, right? It's not about capitalization on one's skills or abilities and opportunities. It's entirely about capital. The people who control capital will 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 be wealthy forever. Sure. Like, yeah. If you have capital, capital is a self-propagating form of wealth and form of power and, and influence in the world. And so, yeah, that's it. Like, no one is going to ever shame and unseat the Trump family. Like, yeah. yeah, they are definitely way deeper in than they ever should have been. Yeah nothing is going to stop like, like well no of course not like, hypothetically speaking he gets impeached which personally i think it's going to happen yeah but, but that just means that whatever tv show he decides to host on yeah fucking fox news or the well, breitbart network which will yeah. probably come out i mean that he's just gonna well, continue yeah, to and, be rich from that and, and and all of his real estate and i think and i think you know like new media has also encouraged the notion of attention capital and yeah and so, yeah, they had like you have that already. Right? Interesting, so you, you bring that up. Have you ever heard of the fairness doctrine? I have not. No. All right. So, very simply, the fairness doctrine was a law that was enacted, or I don't even know if it was a law, but it, it was enacted in the '40s, and it was um, voted down by the FCC in 1987. And this uh, statute or law, whatever you want to call it, stated that for every political viewpoint stated on broadcast media, 
the opposing viewpoint must be stated immediately following. And this doctrine was voted down. So what that did was it opened the floodgates for guys like Rush Limbaugh and uh, Bill O'Reilly to jump on the airwaves and just spew ideology instead of news Mm -hmm. without supporting facts and without an opposing counterpoint, without a counterpoint. Um, And obviously we have infinitely more media now than we did in 1987 and before Mm -hmm. so you could see the slippery slope right that we that we have fallen down yeah and i mean and and what it comes down to is um you know it's it's that um it's that manufactured consent that comes from like elite um you know elites who control the media which is uh i feel like uh, you know, I feel like Jesse Ventura <laughs> saying that. Yeah. Um, well, Netflix but, well, is doing all right, though. But but to be fair, Manufacturing <laughs> Consent is a book by Noam Chomsky. So still representing the left here. Yeah. Who's that um, guy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it is this is it's this idea of you have the elite, um, you have the, the viewers um, and then like the, one of the big third parties in there is the advertisers. Sure. Uh, and so the attention economy is like. You look at something like uh, Snapchat, for instance. You know, Snapchat goes public and is worth billions and billions of dollars because they were able to go grow a rapid user base. None of that is like uh, none of that is uh, monetized at this yeah. point, right? Right. But it's the fact that I could I can even roll that out and say I have the eyeballs of X million people mm-hmm. and growing at a rapid rate. Yeah. The moment I can get an advertiser to come in here and turn this into money like turns it into attention that is going towards uh, advertised products. Yeah. Like this is beating any mainstream medium. Yeah. I'm not on Snapchat. I deleted it. But last I remember, there were filters that were sponsored by Target. Oh, yeah. You can get the Revlon and all that. Yeah. Branded filters, branded content as you're scrolling through. And it's just like, that's, um, yeah. And those, you know, those, it's actually five different parties that kind of, that that create, uh, you know, manufactured consent to the point where at the, at the end of it all, you are being fed an ideology that you may not agree with, but that is so ubiquitous that you really can't come up with a counter argument for it. And, and yeah, if you combine that with the general impatience of the of the the subsequent generations, right? I say impatience, right? But it's like, no, that's what we told them to do. Sure. We told people to multitask. We told people that that more than 30 seconds of your time is a waste. Mm. We're telling people now with the gig economy that you're you're supposed to be tired and, and terrible all the time. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and it, and it and then the person who speaks up against that is like crazy. Yeah. Um, I got to say, Nathan, for somebody who declared himself uninformed earlier in the podcast, you're doing all right. I'm doing, I'm, you know. You also posted something on Facebook that said you spilled nacho cheese on a paper <laughs> cut and it healed. This is a complete 180 from oh, the guy man. that I know My social on, on media, Facebook. I, I, am, I am terrified of expressing any opinion on social media. I'm terrified of expressing my opinion now. Yeah. Um, the, nah, don't be terrified. For, this, we probably won't post this. Yeah. For those of you who, yeah, for those of you who don't know, there is a giant banner in this studio that says safe space. Yeah. Which is the only reason I'm, <laughs> I'm stating my opinions openly. Uh, no, the social media for me, I don't use it in a, in a profoundly social way. No, you use it for to advance your your comedy. Yeah, or to at least put it out there. I just put it out there in the sense. I mean, like I I'm a participant in the attention economy. I want pe- I want to be a relevant name on people's minds, yeah. and also my brand. Really, do you though? You want to be a relevant name on people's minds? Um, is that what is in the context of like? Is that well, a motivation? yeah at what point do you say i don't really give a fuck what people think um 
I mean, probably if I had, if I had like more than 70% confidence in myself as a human being, I might get towards like being like, I don't care what you think about me, but are I, you not confident in yourself? No, really? I mean, but not in the sense that like, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not in a pit of despair and I'm not full of anxiety, but I'm also like, mm, there's probably still more of, there's more of me to work on. Yeah. I think that's normal. Yeah. To get yeah. to the point where I, where if someone came to me, I, I think I'll be an old man before I can look somebody in the face and go, well, that's what you think. And yeah. Just walk away. Right? Really? Wow. Okay. An old man. An old man. Yeah. Um, it may happen sooner than you think. Right. I only, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm old now, you know, by millennial standards. Well, I mean, just, uh, you know, life uh, goes in, in strange uh, directions and yeah, uh, yeah. you arrive at certain things, not necessarily at the same time as others, but and, and the me, fact that we're even talking about it out loud means that you have a little bit more awareness than, oh, for sure. Than yeah. you probably are giving yourself credit for. And, and I, yeah, I think about that too, sometimes in the context of comedy, because, you know, when I started three years ago, I, I think, and I think you, I think you go through the same stages of life in comedy that you do in biological life in terms of you go through being a juvenile, being an adolescent, being, uh, you know, being a, a young adult and then being an adult and then being like an old man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't and, know where I'm at in that spectrum, to be <laughs> honest. I feel like, uh, I walk away from it. I come back to it, but I'm, I'm mostly concerned with, uh, I've mostly participated in stand-up, right, and I'm only right. now beginning to explore improv. I've only had two classes. Yeah, I fancy myself an expert, but that's beside the point. You all, you kind of you kind of dance between both, right? I yeah, I started I started out as an improviser, um, and then it was only like six months in, so I wasn't even really like a true. I was just a student. I wasn't really an improviser, um, and then I started doing stand-up because it was like that was the thing that you do. Yeah, and now that's the thing I criticize people for. Which stand-up or. Um, <clears throat> or both, doing both just both in terms of like well I mean, more on the improv side because I probably feel like I have a more uh, relevant voice yeah. than that um, you know it, like whenever I see people that are like oh I have to do it's like again it's that millennial thing I, 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 I label it as a millennial thing and I don't think necessarily but it's just again that, that false um, that false achievement that false yeah. I, like you don't have to do anything do what you want to do be a tortoise and not a hare right yeah, like sure and yeah the hares are going to look at you and be like snicker snicker like you're not going as fast as we are look what i got booked on look at this and then this and this but it's like yeah. but the hares burn out the hares have to take naps every now and then mm. yeah and and honestly and with for those people that are so achievement oriented at some point they are going to be confronted whether in a quiet moment by themselves or by somebody they really respect with the question what do you want yeah and it's going to crush them mm. um, because they've been chasing everything for so long and they don't know yeah and which do you like doing better stand-up or improv i love doing improv man i i uh, you know, like my, how, what's uh, I, I wanted to bring up what your take was on because there is a little bit of a stand up versus improv sort of uh, rival. Yeah. It's not even a rivalry because they're not they're not competing for the same audiences or the same right. things. I think I, I think, think it's, it's just a it's a it's a I think it's kayfabe at this point. I think it's just something that you do. What's kayfabe? Oh, kayfabe. Oh, I get to explain pro wrestling now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, well, just the notion of kayfabe in in wrestling terminology means that it's it's scripted, it's storyline. Right? Oh, okay. It's okay. either it's either a work or a shoot, and a work is kayfabe, which means fake. It's, oh, okay. It's scripted, and so like the heels and the faces, the good guys and the bad guys sure, in, that the, I know. in the ring, like they kayfabe hate each other, but they don't real hate each oh, other. Oh, okay. Although sometimes they do, and then that becomes a big thing that people yeah. talk about. So. It's yeah. just so I see a lot of the stand-ups taking shots at the improvisers, but I never see it coming from the other side because the improvisers 
Well, they yeah. don't, you don't, because I've got my group here. I don't fucking need to make a point against one singular stand Well, I mean, improv <laughs> is so easy to make fun of. And I say that yeah. as a person who loves improv because, um, like, well, but at the same time, like, open mic comedy is so easy to make fun of, right? Oh, believe like, me, I have to hold myself back from doing it all, yeah. all the time. <laughs> Like, how many times have I gone to an open mic and literally, like, I've seen, like, three dude comics go up one after another and open with the line, I know what y'all are thinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, guys, we're just, what book did you read that put you on this stage? Um, And I say that, like, I'm not a master. I'm not out there crushing every night, you know. But it is definitely like you see the same repetitive and uninspired behavior on both sides. Yeah. With improv, it's a little bit more, I do think, you know, improv, it gets a little wackier, it gets a little weirder. And and also the notion that we everything is done through this class system, mm-hmm. which I think is heavily criticized. And hey, it is what it is. Like you, improv's a team sport. You wouldn't just you wouldn't do an improv open mic and just let, let anybody get up there because they might not know the rules of the game and that yeah. wouldn't be fun for anybody. But I think it's all manufactured at this point because when you look at New York and L.A. and Chicago, I mean, except for, you know, there's some people who decide to be purists, but a lot of people in the middle and, you know, in the big chunk of the bell curve decide to do both because they feed into different skill sets and they just make you a better, more well-rounded performer. Most of the stand-ups, well, actually, that's a very, that's a broad generalization. A lot of stand-ups that I've seen who have also taken improv classes tend to do very, very well. Uh, and who have also taken theater, just not to take anything away from those who don't. But again, it's an it's an expansion yeah. of your skill set. I yeah. said, you know, I mentioned that I was taking these uh, improv classes now, and my eyes are being opened. I think, you know, we did the social hangout for the first time, like after class, which our teacher encouraged, and I think mm-hmm. that's a good thing. You know, get to know the people who you're going to be on stage with and trusting. You know, off stage as well. Yeah, and um, you know the. Uh, 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 what, you know the, the thing about uh, uh, improv in particular is that uh, it's it, it, I don't know how to like really articulate this point but it's it's just so ra- it's a radically different craft it is you yeah. know uh, my favorite thing about improv and I always say this when I like teach a free class for people who've never done it before is that unlike almost anything in real life like people use the word collaboration a lot in real life yeah and none of it's real collaboration it all falls into these other categories of uh what would i call it like like uh like collaborative or teamwork mm-hmm. right because you can work as a team in a lot of different ways you can be democratic which means that the majority rules you can be autocratic and that you're following the leader because somebody yeah. has the the best skills in the room it's a question i had for you actually and uh, um and, and yet improv is the one thing I can think of that is truly 100% collaborative. If I put something out into the stage, into the world on stage, it's real. It yeah. has to be. It, and, and, that's, and you teach that with the yes and. And yeah, you see that messed with and, and messed up yeah. all the time. Like, and that's another reason why I think improv is an easy target is because there's a lot of bad improv out there. Like, and, well, and I think, time, yeah, I also think it's a target because there are rules. Whereas, you know, in stand up, everyone's yeah. the rock star. But in improv, uh, not necessarily the case. Well, uh, and, and that's something that I'm learning also. I'm, lear- you know, uh, I wanted to rise to the challenge of working with a group. Yeah. And also to become better socially because, surprise, I'm very socially awkward. We're on a podcast, guys. None of us in this room are. <laughs> I'm not going to speak for the producers. They're probably well-balanced people. Yes. Very um, verbose. Very well-balanced. I'll speak for Ryan and I after this conversation. Like, neither of us has a lot of friends. <laughs> uh, 
that's true i mean uh you know um wow that was that's a very sad afterthought uh it's 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 more that I'm very withdrawn and introverted and shy, and I yeah. never know what to say to somebody because I hate small talk. Mm. But I know that that's how to initiate something. It's right. just that once you do, you can't immediately jump into. So, what's your dad like? You know, you can't. Right. So, you know, just the thing with 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 improv is that I'm learning how to come out of my shell a little bit. Yeah. But the question I was going to ask you is. Uh, does an alpha emerge? I mean, is that something to expect? In, in in mediocre and bad improv, absolutely. Like that's, I, I always tell people, and, and it's interesting that you said that the reason that improv gets made fun of is that there are rules. And like a big thing that I say to people, especially as they're about to graduate, is that, hey guys, we taught you a bunch of rules to make it easy for you. Guess what? None of them apply. Right. There's no rules. Yeah. And the best improv in the world operates under that, under that truly collaborative philosophy that anything I put out to the world is real mm. and we have to deal with it. Um, and dealing with it does not include denying it. That does not include addressing it. It just, it is right. If I, and, and, and I think if you take that into your real life too, that's a, that's a very, uh, that can help you as a person to yeah, not, completely. to not be the person who calls out. Like if I walk into a room and you know, one of my coworkers is wearing like clown makeup, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be like, okay, you're wearing clown makeup. That's great. <laughs> How's it going? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so that's a, it's interesting that they say there are rules. Um, but what yeah. I will say, well, with we, were, we were to, talking about our, our office gigs before we hit the mics. And yes. um, again, another reason I took this class was to better acclimate into the office culture. Right. Because this is my first office job ever. Yes. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea how to behave half the time. And the fact that improv lines up more with office culture also makes it an easy target. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Although I, although to be fair, every like open mic I've ever been to reminds me of an office break room stand up or improv stand up yeah. like yeah every like stand up because yeah it's just it's you know they're there it's, it's like having a part-time job you're there yeah. like the smokers are in the back mm-hmm. the other people are huddled around a table we're talking about nothing but comedy like yeah. because none of us know anything else about each other and it's like this is a work break room guys sure. this is that's all this is yeah um except i you know i i can't speak to improv open mics or or anything beyond yeah. that but I mean, there also happens to be a, 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 a large amount of narcissism happening. Sure. At those oh, yeah. stand-up open mics. Yeah. And improv- Who else can I talk to besides you in front of my face? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Nathan. Yeah, we were having a great conversation, but somebody important just walked in. I need to go, <laughs> yeah. need to go increase my relevance. I'm and, trying to get booked. And no know. disrespect. I love stand-ups and I love stand-up comedy, but that's just what it is. You know, yeah, one's going to deny that. Yeah, there are ups and downs with both. And... and uh yeah i think yeah with an improv jam it's probably just a lot more of just regular anxiety like i'm about to get up and stay on stage in front of people i don't know yeah i think as you get more comfortable with it it becomes more like i'm here to have fun is it is it common for me to dread driving there but then once i leave i'm like that was fucking awesome yeah i think that and it's great like you're probably you're exercising that muscle in your mind of doing of like 80% of the work is getting is getting up and going there yeah. right and you're just exercising that muscle which is great because yeah uh the worst thing that could happen would be you know you'd be like well I'm just going to take a loss on this like mm. I paid the money I'm just not going to go to the class anymore and I yeah. see that a lot so that's kind of unfortunate yeah and I think honestly that that feeling gets like 
more and more microscopically present into the to the point where it's going to be like you're on the side of the stage and you're about and you and you have an idea so you mm-hmm. know that the moment that this next scene is over that you're going to get on stage and try yeah. this idea out and that and then you're going to have the dread yeah and then the i'm moment, not good at that yet by the way jumping in like yeah. jumping up and volunteering first that's something that yeah i need to work on still you're, still you're doing it i'm still testing my boundaries of my comfort zone yeah because that was another reason i signed up for this to get out of that i mean that's why i moved to austin too yeah um, but that's a whole another half hour of conversation that we could right. approach some other time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also run a stand-up show. I do. So you yes. teach improv classes and you book and produce your own stand-up show. I do. Mm-hmm. So how's that going? Um, the stand-up show's fine. I mean, we're weekly now. It's um, does anybody hate you yet? <laughs> probably. Uh, <laughs> probably even before the show. Um, yeah. No, I mean, I, um, I, uh, yeah, running the show. It's a weekly now, and it's the one thing that kind of strikes like strike like stands out in my mind about it is just like having a night that's completely spoken for which is already the case for like other nights in my in my week it's like uh i can't do anything on tuesdays because i got this acting class i can't do anything on thursdays because i've got gut busters at hops and grain 8 p.m every thursday yeah most of our listeners are not in austin (laughs) except for jake rowe perfect jake (laughs) rowe he's been on the show he'll come out Um, yeah but yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody, I, I certainly hope nobody hates me, but uh, I mean, except for the patrons of Hops and Grain who wish that they had their Thursdays back. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, well, I ran a show, I ran a weekly when I was living in New York for a little over five years. Yeah. And uh, I just remember it started out as this really fun adventure for me and my friends to hang out on stage and for me to book people that I like watching too. Mm-hmm. Um, it gained a little traction. We had some good crowds for a while there and then it just slowly began to peter out as as my heart sort of left you know the the, my desire dwindled to do it um and i just remember like the one thing that i really did not like was sensing the resentment from people that not necessarily that i didn't want to book but that i couldn't book at the time like it was it was a huge undertaking to be a stand-up a peer who says no yeah or who's in a position to to be an obstacle for someone to to clear because now they're measuring themselves up to me and it's that's not fair and I've thought about that that role that I may have to take on at some point as like quote gatekeeper. Yeah. Um, and I don't take that role very seriously now, uh, and I don't intend to at any point. Although, um, well, there's a little bit of a balance because I do think I have had people reach out to me to do the show, mm-hmm. and they have gone about it in the completely wrong way from an yeah. etiquette standpoint. So when are you going to have me on? Well, yeah, and there's that, and there's also like misrepresenting your credits. Yeah, it's like, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna ask me on my show, just like very humbly, one, you should always know, like, you know, you should, hopefully your stand up mom or your stand up dad, whoever brings you into this, like your drag mom, mm. like tells you at some point, like, hey, here's how it goes. Yeah. I, I had a guy in my acting class who did two open mics and was like, what do I do from here? And I was like, a lot more open mics. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, and and I'm like, don't even like. Unless you are knocking it out of the park, um, you know, then probably don't expect for anyone to really talk to you or like regard you as a human for like six months. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it's one of those things where um, like from an etiquette standpoint, someone comes to you and misrepresents themselves and you're like, well, you know, dude, I don't care if you're funny or not. I'm just not going to book you because you, 
you lied to me. Yeah. Like, I don't like that. I don't want to encourage you to keep doing that. And of course, for me, the response is, well, hey, I'm booked up right now, but I'll reach back out to you later. And then yeah. just never again. Sure. But it's... Um, oh, look, at you're revealing all your secrets. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude, who reached out to me. Yeah. Um, well, well I, yeah. my whole thing is, from the, from the performing side, was... Um, and this was a trapping. Well, one of my trappings as a younger comic was that I would ask and I was not in a position to. Yeah. What I learned from that, though, was that it's always better to have the person booking the show see you. Yes. Favorably. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. if you bomb in front of somebody who books a show, you should not be asking. Yep. Because that's their impression of you. Yes. If you have a good set in front of someone who who happens to be behind something cool, mm -hmm. then that's that's fine. I mean, and that, that's also grounds to approach the person and say hello. Yeah. Or at least have a good tape. I mean... Yeah, that too. But I feel like it's 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 uh it's understated to that people who book shows, whether they're a comedian or not, are are fucking people. Go over and befriend them. Like get yeah. to know them. Like don't put yourself in a position where it looks like you're using them for your own gain. Mm -hmm. Um and if you could talk that you know, you got to talk that if you're going to talk the talk, you got to back that up. Yeah. Uh I am definitely yeah, I definitely hold it as a point of personal pride that I have never like had somebody on my show and then as went while they were at the show casually brought up the show that they run that i want to be on like that's <laughs> scummy i hate it yeah like i'll have you on the show great i love it and maybe weeks later i'll reach out to you and ask to be on the show because i personally just think i'm not around enough to yeah. be in people's minds mm -hmm. and hey i'm also open completely open to the idea that i'm just i'm not funny enough but like, I'm you know I never I never want to feel like I'm entitled to anything. I don't work yeah. as much as I should for yeah. sure. Jesus Christ, you beat the crap out of yourself. Of course, yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's just it's all it's all uh, it's preventative. What, what do you call it? It's like uh, preventative pain, right? Yeah. I'm I want to be the source of my pain. Okay. Um. So, but Look, yeah, you're a tall, handsome guy. As uh, someone who's not that, I'm enjoying watching you do it. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Um. Yeah, it's uh, and I'll reach out like like two or three weeks later, you know, or months later, and just be like, "Hey, would love to, you know, love to come do the show sometime, whatever," and just leave it there, right? And if yeah. I don't hear it back, I'm just like, I will, I won't ask again, right? Yeah. It's just one of those things of, and you know, it, it really depends on the nature of the show. I just think from an etiquette standpoint, like, I don't know, I, I think I think in Austin because we have. A relatively smaller scene and sure. also a ton of open mics so people are going out and performing a lot mm -hmm. but do they know how to work on themselves as performers do they know how to really gauge the quality of their material right um well austin is a good scene to incubate that it is yeah that's what i always people who ask me should i move to la chicago or new york i always say when you have a bulletproof 10 minute set and you yeah. can you could achieve that in a city like this because not for nothing, I'm not going to mention names, but just, you know, mediocre comics who just happen to be around are still getting booked frequently. So you have opportunities to get better here. It's just yeah. a matter of what kind of comedian or performer you want to be. If you're picking up on the things that you could improve upon, yeah. and if you understand who you are, like, you know, if you have a, a, a honed sense of self-awareness, mm -hmm. then you could be amazing here. And I, you yeah. see it all the time. And then, then those people leave, yeah. you know, it just happened. There was a mass exodus. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to circle third and, and head home right now. Um, I don't mean to cut you off, but uh, give, who are, give me some of your favorite, uh, who are some of your influences, comedian or non? My, um, what, what drives you? 
man uh my influences wow i i love i grew up watching um the state oh hell yeah and and i grew up watching snl obviously yeah and um, and then I think that transition into like watching a lot of Mr. Show. Do you like the absurd stuff? I the do. Surreal. Yeah, yeah, me too. For me, you like um, Tim and Eric. Are you into them? You know, Tim and Eric go. I like I like some of the more Tim and Eric influence stuff. I love like Super Deluxe and yeah. their YouTube stuff. But Eric Andre, um, I like him. I like Eric Andre a little bit too high energy for me. Okay. Um, but at the same time, like he knows what he's doing, right? Yeah. He's, he's a great example because we talk about straight absurd and improv, and he's mm-hmm. a great example of like an absurd guy, but that still is like controllable. You can still play with him, right? Yeah. Because I definitely see a lot of like I think I think sometimes Tim and Eric veer into the territory of like I will never get this, and <laughs> therefore I'm just not gonna even bother. There is a very carefully curated tone. It is to yeah. what they're doing. Yes. And you either get it or you don't. Yeah. Hey, I hate to, you know, put up barriers, but hey, that's what it is. I mean, you either think what they're doing is funny because you get it right. or you get it and you're like, this is garbage. I don't know. Yeah. But there's a great integrity in that too. Cause yeah, they don't, sure. they don't veer, they don't pander. Yeah, they don't all. waver. Yeah. They um, don't waver. That's something that I think a lot of people need to learn as well. <laughs> yeah. For me, I mean, in terms of stand up, um, man, I, I love Nate Bargatze. Like that's like my favorite modern stand up right now because yeah, good dude. he's, um, I just I I want to be a better storyteller, and I mm-hmm. love I love watching someone like um, Jesse Hensley on stage who yeah. really like. Talks is it a coincidence that you mentioned Jesse right after Nate Bargatze? Not at all, because they oh. yeah no they absolutely they sound, sound exactly the same. The same yeah. Yeah. Um, no, uh, it, yeah, and like watching watching people on stage. I mean, Vanessa Gonzalez is a great example of this. Like people yeah. who aren't like writing set up punchline jokes, mm-hmm. but who are just talking about their lives and who just are funny. Yeah, so you're inspired um, by more local guys. Yeah, and I yeah, I mean, I can't think of like a super big name comedian right now that I'm like, oh man, I watch all their specials or whatnot. I don't watch as much comedy as I should mm-hmm. for sure, and I'm trying to change that. Um, but but yeah, those are definitely my influences. People who are honest and people you know on on the other side in terms of sketch comedy who are honestly weird, mm. but in a way that's accessible because I think yeah. you know the, the the Tim and like when I talk about like a uh, uh, Tim and Eric, uh, it's. It's definitely like it can be an inaccessible weird at times, and I think about that about SNL too. I love mm-hmm. I love watching an SNL episode and like seeing the two sketches that really like just barely made it. I, that's funny that you say that. My I love SNL in the last half hour. Yeah, that's when I'm watching the most intently mm-hmm. if I'm watching mm-hmm. those. That's I don't you, I don't like Weekend Update. I don't like the cold open. Yeah, that's where you don't see the game show sketch, or if you do, right. and it's weird. Then it's and fucking weird. Yeah, it. and I love watching a guest host navigate that too. Oh yeah, it's always fun. Always um, fun. Uh, yeah. yeah, Nathan, thank you for. We didn't even do an intro to the show. We just jumped right in. That was great. We'll rec- we'll do it in post. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, right, right. There's a lot of post production work involved with this show. Yes. Uh, but thanks for for uh, coming by and joining me. Yeah. By the way, absolutely. this week's guest is Nathan. <laughs> uh, he runs a show and uh, he's an improv teacher. Uh, fantastic gentleman. Yeah, and also we'll we'll put this at the front. But if you want to skip the first thirty minutes where I'm attempting to be intelligent, you can do that. <laughs> no, it was great. I was yes ending you. Did you pick up on that? I picked it up. Yeah. yeah. See, intellects can do that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you uh, enjoy the show, please spin by bodytapeintl.com. That is where you will find the Body Tape International Network of Podcasts. There's plenty of shows for you to choose from. Sample them all. Why not? They're all fantastic. And if you enjoyed this show, drop us a line at ryan has a podcast at gmail.com and uh we will we'll see you next week all right okay get some rest jesus christ 
fucking out of breath over here. See ya. International.